everyone. This is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya. Welcome. This is episode number 76 and my guest today is Tim Scheel. You might know Tim from the radio. He hosts shows on Triple J and Double J, but some of you might also know him as a very clever electronic musician. He has just put out a new album called Distractions One, And it's a really great collection of songs that reference house, Afrobeat and ambient tones. It's a cool listen and I encourage you all to stop listening to my intro, go listen to his album and then come back here. I had a really lovely remote chat with Tim at the beginning of November this year and we spoke a lot about funny things like feeling weird about mentioning famous friends in press releases but also some more serious things like how his kids have positively influenced his creativity and his very cool label slash musical community called Spirit Level. So I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I enjoyed having it. Tim's strange show story was illustrated by Stuart Fulton and it's a great story and a really great picture. You can see more of Stuart's stuff on Instagram at Stweefel, which is S-T-W-E-E-F-U-L, Stweefel. He's so great. Go check him out. Also, see if you can recognize the faces in the picture before you listen to the story. Uh, it's so funny. Anyway, as always, you can see all these illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page and sometimes on Twitter when I remember to do it. Thank you again so much for listening. Here is episode number 76 with Tim Scheel. How are you going, Tim? Thanks so much for doing my podcast. Uh, I'm so excited. I, lo- I love you. I love podcasts. Oh, um, I love you. <gasps> this is the quickest we've ever said I love you on the podcast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I do tend to be in my feelings pretty pretty easily. Yes. Especially the last couple of years. So, yeah. It's my favorite zone to be. Um. Hey, you've just released a beautiful album called uh, Distractions One. You've just released it in end of October. So we're just, we're talking at the beginning of November. Mm. Um, how are you feeling about it? Good. Really good. No, really, really good. Right. Um, I think there is always like a, and you would know this well, there's a complicated range of emotions that goes on when you put something new into the world. Um, but I am like really excited relieved that the kind of the train has left the station um and grateful you know yeah i I don't take it for granted that i think i'm in a pretty good place in terms of my own relationship with my creative process these days like it's it's not particularly fraught and it definitely has been over the years and i i'm sure it will be at some point in the future but you know i'm kind of happy to be making music happy to be putting it into the world i think one thing that i've noticed now because I guess I've had a few years where I haven't really been putting a lot out there and I've just been sort of toiling away uh, just where, wherever I can squeeze the time in and with whoever is around, just just that folder on my hard drive, just expanding and expanding and expanding. And, um, <laughs> you know, so I've been waiting for this moment to kind of go, here, here it is, are you ready? And I think um, one 
one thing that's different now to when I've done this in the past is that I've got a pretty clear idea of what the next like two, three, four things are. And now I can kind really? of, yeah. And I think like, that's just a, I'm, not everyone can work like that. And it's a little bit of a byproduct of just how my life has gone the last five years, but you know, it's actually really worthwhile, at least for me, because it means that like, I'm already well into the next project in my mind and like in my heart for one of a better that's amazing yeah you were you were saying during, on text the other day that you were feeling the most prolific that you'd felt in a long time which I find so refreshing to hear because so many people especially through lockdown and everything so many people have just been feeling really stunted yeah. and really restless and and a bit you know um listless I guess so it's really nice to hear that somebody has really sort of taken the reins and found the windows to work in around your work and your family and, you know, everything going on around you. Yeah, and, I, and I'm grateful for it too because, you know, you can't – I'm just sort of holding on to that feeling for as long as I can, that feeling of um, being able to, to kind of pump music out. It feels really, really good and I don't know if that's going to last forever but – um, in terms of I like, hope it does. I, I mean, if my, who knows? I don't know. I think part of it is <laughs> for me about like, I know because I've been trying to like make beats or make music or whatever for, for a, a while. Um, it's just the more you do it, the quicker you get at it. At least that's been my experience. And it's probably a little bit to do totally. with the kind of music I make. You know, it's my music is more about a little bit more about the craft and the sound and the process that not technical but you know the, the process of building the song and building the soundscape rather than you know communing with my my feelings and stuff um which is what i've heard songwriters do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can we talk a little bit about this new album because yeah. i was when i put it on i was expecting it to be quite ambient and a bit more like your other stuff and i was expecting it to be like um yeah, like a relaxing listen. And then when I put it on, it's this beautiful collection of um, of like, you know, percussion heavy sort of um, partially like Afrobeat sort of stuff. And it was really cool. And I have to tell you, the first time I listened to it, um, I was exercising. I have this tiny uh, exercise trampoline. Yes. <laughs> I'm very cool. I don't know if you know. Um <laughs> And I do little like aerobics routines. Yeah. And I have to say that your album is very, the BPMs are very bounceable. And um, <laughs> the ones that weren't uh, good for like doing star jumps and stuff on, I, um, I like sprinted on the spot to them. And it was, <laughs> it was a very unique way to listen to this album, but totally suitable. Right. It's so funny you would say that. I loved it. It's such a coincidence, but that is exactly what I was thinking about when I was making this song. <laughs> I was imagining, and not to say, I was imagining you on a tiny trampoline and thinking, does this song, Sprinting. is this going to work? Uh, <laughs> 135 BPM is going to be perfect for star jumps um, done by a tall lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, well, thank you. That's all very, that's very kind. It was a funny way to listen to it. Yeah. Because I quite often will listen to like, uh, like hip hop while I exercise. So this was a little bit different, but I felt like some of your, um, some of your production was really a bit, you know, like it sort of reminded me a little bit of NERD or Timberland in the way that they use like the wood blocks and the panned percussion and 
that sort of heavy beat production. Um, so, yeah, I just I thought it was really cool. Well, that's all extremely lovely. And thank you. And um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I guess the last couple of releases that I've put out have been for video games and it, ha- mm. it has been a lot of ambient music, particularly at the last game I worked on, which I loved so much and I, I adored working on that game. And it, in the process of making that game, I ended up with all of this music. So I sort of put out two albums worth of stuff with all these friends. Yeah. And But the, the energy on those tracks really is meditative because that's what the game is about. The game is about trying to get into this kind of focused zone and and tying that in with emotions and childhood and memory and such a beautiful experience and i think if anything like i think that experience is going to echo throughout my music inevitably just because i i I was in that for so long and quite literally quite literally actually a couple of the songs on this new record are essentially remixes of tracks from that game soundtrack like because um, yeah, I've, cool. I've gotten really interested in kind of regurgitating myself essentially and, and trying to build those threads between my own songs has just become sort of a fun thing for, for me to do. So when I hear a song, yeah. I can be like, oh, that's that, that's got that part from 2013, but also this thing from 2018 and my friend from last week. <laughs> and- well, yeah, plagiarizing yourself is the, is the safest person to plagiarize. <laughs> I just remember, <laughs> I, I remember my listening to music and not i just remember having a moment with an album by cornelius an album called point um i love that album yeah and but for whatever reason that album stood out to me surely i'd heard records before point that do this but that album stood out to me because i could tell that he was using a pretty narrow bunch of tricks and he was also reusing a lot of like his same vocal elements and I could hear parts of songs yeah. appear in other parts of songs. And there was a something about the way that connected the songs on the record as such a discrete world that kind of sta- yeah. stayed with me a bit, I think. And it's funny because the flip side for that is like I'm really big on Marvel. Like I'm a really MCU <laughs> nut. Right. Like I'm obsessed with the MCU, It's <laughs> which is awesome. And... <laughs> Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe, for those of you who don't know, the 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 capes and the fancy the fancy um, latex gear and the flying around in space. And stuff. <laughs> um, no, but it's fascinating thinking about the way that that whole universe has evolved and has kind of come to to become such this. It's kind of taking up now this monolithic space in pop culture, and it's this interconnected world of 30 something movies where characters come in and out and there's layers if you're deep in it then you know that this that that comment that that guy's just said to that person is referencing a thing in a movie from four years ago and that level of like intertextuality is really fascinating and you don't sometimes you do hear it in music it's not like it's a brand new idea but yeah, I've become a bit more interested in it, and you know, I like the idea of that's so cool of of re redoing stuff and putting out multiple versions of the same song, and but you know, not not being explicit about it. It's just people will notice if they are really paying attention or deep on it. Maybe yeah. no one will notice. It's just fun for me, you know. That is nice, and I think you talk a lot about friendship and collaboration um, in your in your songs, and I think you had a really beautiful quote where. Um, you said it's not just a collection of songs, it's a collection of your friends. 
And I really, really love that as a concept because I think that's what every album should be, just a collection of friends doing something meaningful together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong if you're a complete one-person unit and that that's how your music functions and there's there's no right or wrong way of doing anything, really. And I've definitely, like, I've had points in my life where that's been so true, where it's just the music has just mm. been completely me it's just me 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 um <laughs> and um there is something a bit tiring about that i think you know at least for me anyway and that, and that kind of that mm. that need for c- connection and and to feel like you're part of something bigger um is is part of it but it's also kind of practical i think i've just sort of realized that my songs are better when i am pulling in parts from people who i really admire and whose whose music is whose musical instincts are really great and who feel like they might match and it inspires me when a file comes back or a you know a vocal part comes back and that that gives me new life and new energy and it opens up songs in new ways and it's just it's becoming you know not the only way i work i think i'll i'll inevitably always have some element of just tinkering on my own and there'll be songs that'll work like that but there's something so special about bringing people in, especially when you have that personal connection with them, you know? Yeah. It's just like it feels yeah. like you've, you've, you've put, you, you're working with a mate and then you hear them every time you hear the song and that makes I know, me, it's yeah. lovely. And, and then it filters through to like in this period where like the music comes out, it's released, people are hearing it in the world, you're encountering it in the world and I can be so much like more proud and excited of the about the music because it's not just me. Like I'm not just listening yeah. to myself and going, wow, this guy's awesome. You feel less of a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, and I mean, everyone's different. I, I, know. I Yeah. Like, but a lot of artists really struggle to struggle to, to find, to have that kind of self-love or whatever. So yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. I do. I know I do. I know when I start promoting my album, which is probably, you know, 2024, um, I will be like, I will be talking up the people that played with me rather than talking up my own songs because yeah. I find it really difficult to talk about myself. Nah, it's a good um, look. It's a know. good look. Yeah. For someone with yeah. a, with a, for someone, for someone like me who is a mad narcissist and has a raging ego, <laughs> it's a good look to appear as though, to yeah. surround yourself with other people and talk about them. It actually makes you look really good. So that's, that's my thinking. Right. That's, that's why we thinking. do it. Yeah, 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 that's why we do it. Because we don't we don't want to seem like a tool. We want to be cool. I don't want people to know my real self. Um, that narcissist asshole. The self-professed narcissist. Um, well, can you tell me a little bit about... I didn't know many of the names that were on your record. Can you tell me a little bit about your collaborators? Yeah, um, I would love to. Um most of the collaborators on this collection of songs come from spirit level, which is like the collective slash label slash community thing that I started a while back. And um, yeah, so and you run that late label slash community. Um, essentially. I mean, I, I have often wished that it would be more like a big kind of messy democratic co-op collective thing um and there's definitely an element of that because we most of us are just mates and we do you know um we definitely don't run it as a like a 
business or anything like that mm. <laughs> you know um but in, yeah inevitably you don't want to run anything as a business oh it's, it's ridiculous very it's, stressful look yeah it's kind of dumb <laughs> i mean it's just not who i am but um and but it's and that's also pretty transparent amongst our uh, our crew so we're really just a group of people that have shared values and are really into each other's music and some of us were already connected um and have kind of pulled each other in and then yeah some of the artists on spirit level was really just hearing something and going oh I need to know who this person is and then having a chat to them and going, yeah, you should come join our club. <laughs> that's and, so um, lovely. So, and Spirit Levels, that's a whole other conversation. It's turning into a whole other beast at the moment. But um, but yeah, a handful of artists on the record like Brailleface and Happy Axe, Hem, um, uh, Nick Navy, who's on the record, is also like pretty heavily involved with Spirit Level. Um, so a bunch of them are... are uh, yeah a friends in that way and then there's a couple of artists luke howard plays piano on a song and a guy from sydney called anatole plays trumpet on another song they're just friends that i have loved for a long time and have collaborated with them both of them in different ways and then there are a couple of people who sort of maybe slightly outside of my existing circles but have kind of gotten to know in the last couple of years so that's genesis awusu who is now like six-time ARIA-nominated Genesis Awusu. So I've had to go around and re-edit all of my press releases and stuff. <laughs> I feel like every time something happens with with, with Gen- Genesis Awusu's project, I have to move him further up the press release. It's just like, you know, know, this album features collaborations from Genesis Awusu and then the rest, you know. He's worked his way up. Yeah. Anyway, and... um, I had something similar, actually, when yeah. um our mutual friend Wally Tabaka did something on my record and then the, literally the next day got like all the Grammys <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess my press release is going to be Wally heavy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's a, that's a conversation I am very familiar with, with having. I bet. Yeah. It is, it is, it's a weird thing to, to, to navigate that, that sense of like, yeah. okay, I've worked with the friend and and maybe we even worked together before all this stuff happened to them. Yes. And now all this stuff has happened to them. How do I frame that so that they, neither they or me, end up looking like a dick? You do you know what I mean? Opportunistic dick. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I know. Oh my good, because it's everywhere. I know. I've really, really struggled with it, especially with Wally, because I was so mindful that he would probably be getting. I didn't want him to feel like I was taking advantage of him in any way, you know, <laughs> like, I'm so sensitive about that with friends and, um, and I, I think it was fine in the end, but yeah, I, I definitely had some big thoughts about it <laughs> and, yeah. a, and some big, I don't want to be an opportunistic dick yeah. feeling. It's, it's, <laughs> it's case, it's case by case. And a lot of it's about yeah. like, you've just, you've just got to ask that person how, what they're comfortable with. That's like, right. you know, are you cool with this or would you, would you rather not? It's the, where you get into trouble, I exactly. think is when you do things without, without running it past your, so your so-called close mate. And that's when you can get into real, yeah. real trouble. Um, yeah. That's right. I imagine you would have had some, some bad, like Wally press release <laughs> feelings too. <laughs> not real. I mean, yeah, I guess, um, like, sorry, it's just for so for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, um, uh, Wally is a Belgian artist called um, Goitier. Um, and uh, yeah, I met him when we were 17. So we've known each other for Aww. since we were kids. I met him before Gautier. Like, so we, we, yeah. we, we have a pretty genuine long term relationship. 
And um, and you played in his band for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and we also we started Spirit Level together in its in its first incarnation. And you know, when we were at uni, we were both like making beats, like listening to DJ Shadow and trying to make beats. And we go around to each other's houses and listen to burn CDs together and all that kind of stuff. So like, there's we shared a lot of kind of have shared a lot of formative experiences over the years. And you know, mm. um. It's interesting. I mean, Wally's definitely not throwing in his press release like that he's a friend of Tim Scheel. Whereas, like, <laughs> you know, every now and then it pops up in a in a in a bio of mine, and it's it is it's something that he's very aware of, and I think almost yeah. like he's happy for that. He's happy for that to happen when it's when it's real and when it's kind of organic. I think you know because yeah, um, yeah, there is that that sense of of trying to show that you've done stuff it's a thing that you kind of have yes. to c- continue you, it's it's a it's a nasty byproduct of the music business that you sort of end up kind it of is. constantly reminding people that there's a reason why you're there and um you know so it becomes you, you end up telling your story especially like me i'm totally self-managed and self everything so me too yeah so you when you, you find have to this, be yeah. so careful and you have to you have to tell your own story over and over again um it yeah. just becomes sort of a little bit second nature and you you used to sort of hit it's about hitting the right marks without being a, a douche bag. Yes. <laughs> it is really tricky because especially when you have, yeah, like famous people contributing to your record, like you've just explained, um, yeah, there's a fine line between wanting people to know that, you know, you've legitimately worked on something with someone who's really creatively amazing and um, celebrated and then also going, yeah, but we, we're friends and it shouldn't matter if they're famous or not. It just happens to be that that person is, you know, nominated for eight arias or that person just won all the Grammys or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know it's just, yeah. It's really the, tricky. At the end of the day, you can't control how other people perceive it or frame it, you know. All yeah. you can really do is just do the work and then put it into the world and, hey, these are the people yeah. that are on the record. Um yeah. See what you think, and if if someone else decides to focus in on the the name that they recognise, or that's the song that they hit play on because that's the they recognise that name because they've seen it somewhere else that day. Like you can't really control that. And I know plenty. That's right. of, I mean, some artists and their teams, without wanting to get too cynical about it, you know, they will make strategic decisions around that. They'll they'll be like, we need to find a singer for this song that's going to have oh, yeah. name recognition so that people click on it and it might lead to this happening. And um, But of that's course. just, you know, and, and in a way, there's nothing wrong with working like that if that's how you work and, and you're kind of real about it. But yeah, it's not, it's not really how I tend to think about it, you know. No, me either. But it is an interesting conversation. Um, but I, I really want to ask you about one collaborator in particular because she's a dear friend of mine and an amazing musician um, and her name is Mindy Mangwang. Yes. And um, So you guys would have – have you is, played together before? Yes, yeah, you so would have. She played, um, she played in this amazing um, – we thought it was going to be a one-off performance at, uh, at the Art Gallery in Melbourne and – it was for the Away Way Andy Warhol exhibition. So Regurgitator and Mindy did the Velvet Underground Banana album live. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose it was a bit of a like this Asian flavour um, over the Velvet Underground. And she was so amazing. She played her beautiful instruments. 
that I've is it Gungzheng? I can, can never remember what they're called. Yeah, Gujong. I, um, I, I, Gujong. Every every time I every time I even though I've been trying to say it for two years now, every time I say it, Mindy will just sort of look out the corner of her eye. I and know. Like, Me too. I should know this by now. Which is, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's a beautiful stringed instrument mm. and it's, um, she's absolutely amazing. So can you tell me about your experience working with her? Because she's quite extraordinary. And I listened to that, um, to that music you guys made together and it's so beautiful. Yeah. She's a good human. She's a pretty good egg, Mindy, um, beyond, yeah. just, beyond being a really talented, um, yeah, a really talented player and, and also just really good, really good instincts for, um, like she's such a great improviser and has has such great instincts for yeah. where, where to kind of where to fit in a song and how to how to shape um, a moment and shape a feeling and all that stuff's really inspiring for for me because I don't really come from a background of being an instrumentalist at all. Um, you know, I, I don't mind improvising and, and jamming and mucking around a bit, but my tools are mm. so different. Um, so it's really yeah. when I see someone who's such a master of something like that, it's really inspiring. Um, yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah. She just she's so good at improvising. Yeah. And confident. I was even just thinking a little this is a bit of a, a tangent, but I was thinking a little bit about this last night um after so um straight after my radio show on Double J on a Tuesday night, they do live at the wireless. So I finished up my show and then put some earbuds in and and started heading home listening to Midnight Oil live at the wireless recorded at in um, Canberra's Royal Theatre in 2009 and just I was listening to that this is trust me this will sort of make sense but I was listening to that and I had (laughs) in the mix was so clear I had the two um, like the two guitarists in one in each ear and I can't remember which song it was it was one of their like huge massive hits and they just had this extended section where you, where you could just hear that the guitarists were just exploring. They were just like, you know, yeah. They, they, it wasn't really a guitar solo. It was more just that they were really finding extra space and finding these extra notes and moments inside this extremely, um, extremely knowledge, like well-known Midnight Oil hit song. And just listening to it and just thinking, man, that's just something I that's a that's a skill I do not have in the bag. I am like I am not yeah. a <laughs> insanely talented guitarist, obviously. And just listening to it and being so yeah. inspired by like to have that mastery of your instrument where not only can you play really complicated or cool or interesting things, but that you can improvise in like intensely creative ways. Like you just find yeah. this, you know. It's such a you, you, yeah. I love that feeling when you listen to someone play an instrument and you're like, wow, you you have explored this instrument like every part of it, and everything yeah. it can do, and you've done that for decades, and now you can pretty much just step into a room and just like find your your spot in a song. Like it's just I, it blows my mind every that time. That is very impressive. But do you have an instrument that you feel like that about? Because I would say for me, um, I have a couple of synthesizers that I have played for 20 years and that I know what every what every combination of sliders and knobs is going to do. Yeah. Um and with those instruments I could improvise quite easily, but it would be, you know, a bit more noise improvisation rather than beautiful guitarmonies. Yeah. But uh <laughs> you know, it would do you have any instruments like that? I really don't. I really really don't. Um and it's partly just because I'm lazy and impatient. I get <laughs> I get bored really easily. I, I learned cello for six months in grade five and 
I had to stop because I just wasn't practicing. You know, I'd keep going back to the, yeah. the classes and the cello teacher, Mr. Ca- shout out Mr. Callahan. He kept saying, Hi, Mr. Callahan. Mr. Callahan, he kept saying like, but you only need to do 20 minutes. You know, you only need to do 20 <laughs> minutes, maybe three times a week. You know, I was like, yeah, but and you were like, "Fuck that!" Who cares? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I think the cello was maybe just not going to be my instrument, uh, but yeah. you know, I just, I, I've never, I've never been a practicer, uh, so yeah. that I think just means that I'm never going to be a master at any particular instrument. Um, and you know, but what about like, so when you when you sit down to write a song, do you, what's your go to? Do you go to like, uh, like a so- software? Do you go to like battery or like how are you doing beats? always software um like so i guess like that's i mean uh, i've been using ableton exclusively for many many years that's just sort of where i landed really when i started i I started with a few different pieces of software and then i think i think ableton 2 i think might have been the first incarnation of it that i was using and now it's on they just launched 11 i think is it was it 10 or 11 i forget but um yeah so like if anything this it just sounds so wanky but like that's my instrument i guess yeah Able, that's ableton. not wanky at all not even ableton but just like yeah so like samples and sounds and stuff so i you know i'll start with a handful of a few different sounds so maybe it's a drum loop from somewhere maybe it's a synth pad from somewhere else but um especially even just in the last couple of years and it's a little bit of a byproduct of my lack of time and my my yeah. impatience my desire to just get to a song as quickly as possible that a lot of um i've kind of gone back to doing what i did when i started making music which is really just finding big chunks of other things and then and then kind of just trying to fuse them together and then just like um working on all of the seams between the different layers and just and working on that until it feels like no longer is it a mishmashed collage of different things it's actually coalesced into being its own thing that has a mood and has a a pulse and a feeling and of some visceral quality that i'm that i'm resonating with and that i'm excited about and like on some level that process is like that's the golden part of it for me is the mm. i just took a few chunks of clay and i spent half an hour you know fiddling with it until it turned somehow turned into this new thing which is not just the chunks of clay mixed together you know so that's yeah so it's like a you're you're a composer and an editor I don't think people understand how much of composition in general is editing so I don't think you're doing anything vastly different to the rest of us who are you know creating all the sounds and editing because I think you know as I reckon when I write a song it's 80% editing yeah it sounds like that's a, sort of a similar process except you're getting your sounds from other sources yeah it's not that it's necessarily like a really cool special way of doing it it's just like the thing that I can do and and it tends to what it means is that it's all, it all happens simultaneously so composing is editing is mixing is producing like it's all the same thing and then there might be there might be reasons or times where things do stick out and they turn into okay well like today i'm going to look at this project i know there's too much going on i know structurally it's not working today i really am going to be editing this or it might be mm. you know I, I listened to this song um on a bluetooth speaker at home yesterday and i could tell that 
the lower frequencies are a disaster. So today, like I'm in yeah. a I'm in a mix today, <laughs> but but in the in the moment yeah. of creation, it's all happening at once. You know, it's it's just yeah yeah, which for me is fun and it's magic and it's it's special and exciting and yeah. I and but I have like intense respect for all the other ways of doing it and you know when me I was too. yeah when I was 16 like I had a guitar and I was recording guitar riffs onto cassette tapes and I was trying to write you know bad teenage poetry and. I've just this <laughs> this is the thing that I've seemed to have struck on as being the thing that really hits home with me and so this is this is how I do it, you know. Yeah. Do you mix your own records? I do. I yeah, I do. I, I only That's one great. Yeah, well it's and it just honestly goes back to it it, it being the same thing. I, I think for a long time I didn't understand why you would get your records mixed and it was just simply because I was just mixing my records as I went along. Um, but I understand now why you would. And I think if I had like, I mean, if I had tons of money, I probably would get somebody to, to run a, a fine tooth comb over, um, my work before it goes out into the world. But I think it's just the nature of the kind of music I make is that the, the balance of the elements and how they all sit against each other and how they play with each other in the mix, um, you know, foreground, background, stereo, um, or all of it, like that, that is the process for me. And so, so if someone to come in and kind of go, you know what, actually this bit's not working, let's put this out the front. <laughs> and I, you know what, I played with this sound to see if I could get it to do this instead. That sounds like a horrible experience for me. Yeah. You know? So I'd just be like, this isn't what I made. What did you do? I know. Um, there are much more talented mix engineers than me. And I did actually have one really amazing experience in, in 2010, um, sort of in a previous life with an album that I put out um, when I was called Faux Pas and I got some grant yeah. money to, to get a mix engineer to to work on and, and sit alongside him while he was mixing that whole record. Yeah. And it cost like a ton of, like a lot of money <laughs> that wasn't mine, yeah. thankfully. Um, but I, <laughs> I learned so much and the record sounds great. Like it sounds really, really good. But even now I'll listen to that album and I'll think, well, it's, it a bit sounds like him. You know, because it's Frank Titaz, who's a good yeah. friend, amazing producer. But I feel like he's got a he's got a sound. He's got an imprint that he leaves on a lot of his work. Um, and I, I can I listen to that album and I go, oh, it sounds I can hear I can hear Frank on that record, and that's fine. Like again, it goes back to that collaborative feeling. But yeah, yeah, like- totally. I've had a similar experience with I just got my album mixed by John Lee, and I think oh, yes. he is an extraordinary mixer, yeah, um, an engineer, and um, it changed it completely, but in a great, amazing way. Yeah. Like he's, you know, and it sounds like him. Yeah. But I, it was interesting. I was just telling you just before we started recording that I've been listening to the Daniel Johns podcast. Yeah. And the episode I was just listening to, he was saying how he fired his mixing engineer and got someone else to do it. Um, and isn't that a crazy thing that people sometimes do? <laughs> I'm just, I've never dealt with anything like that. But <laughs> to have such a strong vision for your album to say, well, I can't do, I can't mix it, but you can't mix it the way that I'm hearing it. But I think it's also, yeah. I mean, not not all not all artists can do all of it. Um, and 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 for a lot of artists, it is that like, um, or or want to, you know. And and again, it's that, um. If you're thinking about your music as this collaborative project that you're you're the architect of, that you're obviously you're guiding it, and it's it's you at the end of the day if you're the artist. But you know, but if you're trying to build the team that can execute it, 
and the person in the team you thought could do it, maybe they can't, then you've got to make a difficult decision. Are you going to end up with a record that's not what you wanted and isn't what where you were going? Or are you going to have to make a change and possibly dump some more money in? And, you know, pe- people are professionals. Yeah. So, you know, it's actually probably... Hope, I mean, I've got to listen to the podcast. <laughs> Might have gone down really badly, but in the best possible world, that's a situation where everybody actually kind of gets through it as grown-ups. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, I, I gave it my shot. Well, and- I think he got his manager to do it. Okay. So <laughs> it didn't go great. Well, that's what managers are for, hey? Right? I wouldn't know, but that's why no, I have. have managers. So um, you have a three small children. Do I? Jeez, that's who they are. <laughs> um, that's a lot of kids. What what have they taught you about your creative output? Well, yeah, I mean, this is not this is not new information for most people, probably. But yeah, you, you have kids, and it just your whole, the whole priority uh, system in your life, and the whole your whole structure at all just has to change and for me kind of changed for the better um you know I, I have less time than i ever had to do anything um and that and that's yeah how do you find the time i, to I do find anything? it and 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 honestly i've been far more productive since having kids than i was before so i don't know wow. really know what that is and i don't you know it's definitely i would never say hey you want to be more productive have children like it's just not i would never say that but um and I, and I honestly feel like it probably just did coincide with something that shifted in me as a personality thing anyway. Uh, I think it might actually just been a bit of timing mm. and that even without the kids, I probably was about to enter a really productive phase just through, like I sort of mentioned before that for me, at least I spent so many years sort of toiling and, and, and tinkering and then sort of have now gotten to a, a mode where I don't need to tinker anymore. I can just do it. I can just do the things. Um, so things happen quicker uh, and, and and I can get to what's important sooner because I know I know what I want and that's I know who great. I am and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So that's a, that's a growing up thing and a maturity thing and a practice thing. And But yeah, I, I guess I've become much better at, at scheduling and being really aware of my own time and my own energy and my own moods and how to... How to um, balance all of that and it's not easy and I've definitely had some really difficult times and and some some real trouble over even the last 10 years with with the the girls um not with them but just the balance Mm. of everything and burning out and yeah so it's a constant thing to balance but I do get better and better at balancing yeah and better at being a master of Ableton (laughs) (laughs) and well and hopefully a good dad you know because I've that's 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 kind of the thing that happens is that all of a sudden you're like none of it's really as important as it was the day before um they were born um because suddenly the most important thing is that your kids are healthy and happy and of course um, that they're gonna live good lives and be good human beings and um so there's actually that, a pressure lifts, uh, for at least it did for me. That's so lovely. Some pressure and some weight lifted from the whole pro- from the whole idea of being an artist. You know. That's so lovely. I've heard that a lot actually. Is that it really pulls things into perspective? P- pressure is like personal, like internal pressure is the Achilles heel for so many creative people, uh, and mm. it takes so many different forms. That people put so much pressure on themselves, or they internalize external pressures or external narratives around 
what it means to be good at it or to have done have done things that are worthwhile or be successful like there's so much toxic stuff around all of that that finding some way to let go of some of it particularly if you found maybe you've unconsciously bought into some of it um is i think a really i've seen that be a, a thing that a lot of artists have to go through in order to have long creative lives and not and not kind of burn out or get jaded or get cynical yeah. or whatever um and i think it just so happened for me part of all of that process of like going from being frustrated why you know why why can't i spend more time on my music why, why is no one listening to it why you know turning from that person into the like um of course, nothing is ever wrong, person that I am now, which is not true. But, you know, like <laughs> having a much healthier relationship with, with my creative work and my output and all that kind of stuff yeah. uh, coincided with, with having the kids, for sure, yeah. That's yeah. lovely. And do you, are you a very musical household? Do you have music at home or are you musicked out by the time you're working on music and presenting music on the radio and trying to seek <laughs> out music for your playlists and music, music, music? No, we we always have music on at home. Um, I, like I grew up, that's that's where my love of music came from. Is I grew up with parents who always had a CD in the CD player. Um, you know, always had the radio on. There was always something um, piping music into my brain, and I loved it. What was their go-to? Like, did you have something that when you were little, you were like, "This is it. This is what I want to do," or something like that? Oh, nah, not some, not when I was really little. I mean, it was basically just whatever mum and dad put on the stereo was what I would enjoy listening to. And um, they were mad for a lot of 70s and 80s kind of prog and pop. Um, so we listened to a lot of uh, Pink Floyd and Wings mm-hmm. and, you know, even like Billy, Billy Joel and Elton John, some more pop, like pop stuff. But um, yeah, I remember my dad once saying to me that he didn't, he didn't really care about the Beatles. I think I was talking to him a bit later in life and maybe I think I was a, y- a young adult. And I, well, cause this thing, I grew up in a wings, a Paul McCartney wings household and we never yeah. listened to the Beatles growing up. And, wow. and, and, I, and I remember talking to once I discovered the Beatles later, I did remember I talked to my dad and I was like, why don't we have Beatles records? And he pointed out like my parents are quite young. So he was like, yeah, well the Beatles were like, that's sort of like that's that would be my parents' music, you know, like that would be, and I was ah. like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So, yeah, but also but even like, so I feel like every household has the Beatles, regardless of how old the parents are. Surely, nah, it was Venus and Mars. We listened to Venus and Mars. Oh yeah, it's a great record. Over and over and over and over again, and you know, also like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and then and mum and dad would like they we'd go to one of their mates' house and they'd stay up, they'd stay up late. Um, drinking and shooting pool and stuff and i'd be in the next room watching the television and i'd be able to hear venus yeah. and mars you know pump, oh, pumping great. in the next room and <laughs> that was my like early early childhood so yeah we were very much a band on the run household right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, still also but good. my, my also parents good. were really into the beatles so right. i find it hard when yeah when someone says because i think most of the people i ask on this podcast it, it always comes back to the beatles yeah like it's very unusual that a, a a person doesn't hear the Beatles and and fall in love with melody, you know. Yeah, well, it just wasn't in my world. The Beatles. I mean, obviously, I sort of knew. I knew who they were, but we weren't. We never really listening to them. I my um, I did eventually get obsessed with the Beatles at one point, and it, I remember it really clearly. I think I was maybe fourteen or fifteen, 
and it was pretty early in the years of the internet and my friend Paul Zula who we 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 formed a band together in high school eventually but at this point I think what we was were the band just, called you don't you don't want to know what the band was called yeah I do <laughs> what was it called band, okay it was a, <laughs> it was a long time ago our yeah. band our band was called Shitfish. It's not like Regurgitator is the best name in the world. I'm just can we just put that out there? But um, yeah, no, we were called Shitfish. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that so much. Yeah, no, they that's were good, so great. They were good times, but um, <laughs> but I think it was even before we'd started. Shitfish. Paul who Shitfish. ended up being Paul ended up being the, the, the front man for Shitfish. And he he was obsessed with music, but he was also obsessed with the internet. And I remember him coming to school one day and he'd burnt C D copies, like C D Rs, full of MP3s. Um, and it was the Beatles back catalogue. Somebody on the internet had created like this was a thing you could do. Like they'd created a disc image that was um, all these MP3 playlists of every Beatles record with these like tiny like 300 by 300 pixel JPEG cover arts, and and to fit all of it on one disc, the MP3s had to be like 128 kilobits per Compressed second. Compressed to shit. So yeah. so so my introduction to the the glorious rich Beatles back catalog, <laughs> honestly, was sitting in front of like an old PC, like an old. Wow, an old desktop computer, and you were and just like, these, leaning in. "These recordings are terrible." No, no, I just because I mean, I I just it didn't matter. To, it it sort of has never mattered that much to me whether things like sound great. Like I've I've always connected more with the contents of the thing rather than the the medium or the the um the you know whatever that audio file yeah. kind of attitude is. So yeah, but I I remember I remember sort of like hovering over like these little sound blaster. Um, computer speakers as these 128 kilobit mp3s came out <laughs> looking at these tiny thumbnails of you know the cover of revolver or something and listening to it and going the beatles were geniuses like little did i know <laughs> like eventually i'd get to actually hear it properly and be like oh, yeah. okay but you know wow. that's a, even that is like testament to the to the to the you know what they were doing and how pioneering and and how they kind of did it first and set the set the template um, for everything wow, yeah. afterwards. And so you've got a lot of Beatles in your house now? Uh, well, I mean, we, to be honest, we're a bit of a playlist house. So we've, we've, we've oh, got yeah. a lot of different playlists. So definitely got Beatles on the playlist. Yellow Submarine's a favourite for the girls. They love that. Yeah. Um, Kids fucking love Yellow Submarine. Of course. You know, It's like it. I've never met a kid who didn't like Yellow Submarine. And they often sing it in school too, so you know oh, it's right. one that comes yeah. up in music class and whatever. But Ringo is so he's so warm and lovely, and everything about yeah. it is just so yeah. Of course you would if you're a kid. I love it, and <laughs> yeah. I'm not a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. It's so catchy. Yeah. What other favorites have you got in your playlists? Um, I think we've recently clocked over four hundred and thirty songs. Um, so it's sort of become wow. the default the default home radio. I, so I'm sort of, I think about it the same way that when I was growing up, it was my mum and dad's CD collection. Um, and that sort of became the, that, that, that set the, the blueprint in my brain for how music functions was, was that, fo- that foreigner CD plus that Kate Bush greatest hits <laughs> plus this Daryl Braithwaite CD 
you know like yeah. that that wired my brain to to structure songs in and structure sound in a certain way and inevitable and it doesn't matter how many you know kraut rock records i've listened to and how much techno i've listened to and how much other stuff yeah. and cutting edge this and that there's some part of my lizard brain that was hardwired at age six by the the war of the worlds soundtrack you know um <laughs> So with that in mind, I have sort of been, you know, relatively purposefully been curating this very diverse, really fun playlist of music that has sort of become right. the, the default, the default, you know, it's, it's, it's often much more fun to be intentional and say, guess what, kids, we're going to listen to this record today. I love doing that. Yeah. But just to having that kind of like, I just need to put something on. We just need something on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to have that on sort of on on shuffle at sort of this um, across all the eras, across all the styles, really diverse musical cultures and tons of pop music, tons of things that like their friends are also listening to and that they can like relate to their friends with. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been really, it's really That's fun lovely. to have that. Yeah. And we started that playlist, I think about six years ago. So. Oh, great. That's so nice. Little family project. How do you find, because I, I understand you have your creative freedom to sort of curate the whole playlist for your Triple J show. Um, how do you find the songs? Like, because I, I just feel like it's so hard to find new music every week. I get mm. a bit fatigued from it all. Do you, how do you manage that? Uh, well, I guess because I've been doing that for so long, because before... Before Triple J, I was at Triple R for a long time doing new music shows. So it, it has now just sort of, it's just it's just part of my life is to go looking for music and also to always be like, always be listening when someone is talking about something that they're interested in, you know? So yes. it comes from lots of different places. Um, there are like a handful of websites that I'll make sure I visit every week. There's a handful of playlisters and curators and radio hosts who... You know, I'll, I'll make sure I'm scanning their playlists pretty regular. And, you know, and, and if I feel like it's, something's missing, then I'll go looking. And I'll go, there must be someone in the world who is an expert <laughs> on this stuff. I'm going to go find and see yeah. what they're playing. Um, so just, oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, I love doing that. And it's, yeah, that's just always been part of my relationship with music, partly because I am that kind of nerdy internet investigator type. Like I love dig- digging around and i love it's like crate digging in the in the modern world yeah well i never that was that's where i started i mean i didn't crate dig i never did i've never had a vinyl thing or a real record store thing as much as i appreciate like the the role of record stores it's that was never those were never places that were important to me i'm very much like internet native person so um <laughs> digging for things on the internet has been how i've how i've always always done it so yeah and then sometimes it's people recommending things and obviously I get sent a lot of stuff and trying to come up with systems for processing all of that because you can't possibly process everything these days it's like the abundance is off the charts exponentially in the 21st century so yeah there's a lot of a lot of thought goes into it but there's also an element yeah, of like yeah once you've been in the habit of searching and hunting and keeping your ears open for music for so long that a lot of it just becomes second nature yep yeah hey i'm gonna ask you my last question which is the question that i ask everybody 
Can you tell me what is your strangest show experience or even the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician? It doesn't have to be at a show. I'm glad you asked. Uh, I've been thinking <laughs> I've been thinking about this very question. <laughs> um, For those listening, I completely forgot to tell Tim that that's what I do. At the end. <laughs> so you had not very much time to think about it. No, no, no. Um, look, it's it, it's. It's easy for me to find things like that because I briefly, for what, 18 months, toured in maybe what was briefly one of the biggest bands in the world. <laughs> a lot of strange right. things happened. So um, I bet. Yeah. But I reckon that like we had a lot of surreal experiences on that tour, but probably the 10-day the period that was the wildest was we, um, Gautier, I should say, had been booked for Coachella Festival so we had the two weekends of Coachella and then in between that, let me see if I've got this right. In between that, I think we did Letterman and we did Saturday Night Live. I think that's right. Well, that, well, that was all within like a two week period. So that was yeah. why, like, so there's a lot of different specific stories, but maybe like Letterman was pretty, pretty crazy. Cause I, as like a 20 something had watched a lot of, it stayed up late a lot, watched a lot yeah, of Letterman. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah. So I was just really like, it was an all time thing. And I remember visiting New York with um, my partner like years before that. And one of the things we did was we went to Letterman. So we were in the audience Aww. and we went through that whole process. So to go back to Letterman, but I'm going, you go in the back door and then you're backstage yeah. and you're getting ready to, to, you know, had a handful of pinch me moments at the um, Ed Sullivan Theatre. One was the for at the rehearsal um, where, you know, obviously Letterman's not there. None of, none of them are sort of there. It's just the crew are there. They're helping you set up so you can do the camera. They can spot where the cameras are going to go and maybe you get to run through a few songs. And I was standing next to the, the band's, like, gear, like the spot where the band would go, Paul Schaefer and the CBS Orchestra, right? And I was standing like, cause yeah. where my where they'd set up my station with the computer and the keyboards and stuff was literally just in front of that. And so I'm like, obviously oh spending God. spending the whole time just going like, I can't believe I'm here. This is wild. This is crazy. <laughs> and I'm looking at my at my setup and just thinking this is insane. And then I turn I turn around and Paul Schaefer's suddenly standing next to me, you know, and he's oh. in a he's a tiny man. He's in a pink suit with these little those little black sunglasses. And he just, yeah. he looks at me and he goes, great setup, man. And I was just like, <laughs> it's just like every part of my being was like, it's Paul Schaefer. He told me I had what, a great setup. What the fuck? And I just went, <laughs> I said, thanks. And then turned around again. I just, I, what, I had no idea. Did you go, oh, I blew it. I, well, I felt like that because then when I looked back, he was gone, you know? And it was just oh. like, what did wow. that even just happen? What does He's that, like a anyway, vampire. So I, yeah. And That's then, pretty cool. And then getting into an, uh, getting into the lift and Steve Martin's in there with a banjo. And it's sort of, <laughs> and, you, and you're having that thing where you're like, you're sort of making eye contact, but he's sort of looking away and you can tell he doesn't really want to talk, but it's, but it's Steve yeah. Martin. And um, yeah. yeah, it was so, there was a lot of stuff like that it was just really crazy to process and things I'll never forget staring when Letterman came over after we performed and he comes over and he shakes everyone's hands yeah that was wild because when he when he Aww. looked into my eyes I felt like I was looking into a, a deep dark pool of nothingness whoa yeah I've never forgotten that that's interesting yeah I was like I wonder if he was a, a deep dark pool of nothingness at knows? the time I, I I think I was probably just in shock so who knows yeah 
Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> Thank you for telling me those stories. It's just bragging. I mean, and most of it's just bragging. Like that's the wonderful. <laughs> so much of the Gautier's memory, the Gautier memories are just bragging. That's all it is. I know. I'm well, if it makes lucky. you feel any better, um, Mark Mothersbaugh told me he really liked my SH one hundred ones when we played with Devo, and <laughs> that's, I, awesome. that's still one of the greatest moments of my professional career. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's yeah. You've got to live off that forever. <laughs> Yeah, and I will, and you will. <laughs> hey, I hope it's um, I hope it's been okay being interviewed when you're normally the interviewer. Um, oh, I hope it's been an okay experience being an interviewee. It's great. <laughs> Don't have to think of any of the questions. Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. I of really course. appreciate you making the time, and I oh. hope that we get to you know our paths will cross in person one day soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank thank you for having me on your glorious podcast. Mm-hmm.